Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Offenbaugh as he gives an encouraging word titled, His Name Shall Be Called Wonderful Counselor. Praise the Lord. It's a true delight to be with each one of you today. I have a what I believe is a real good message that's going to help us all, and uh, I really uh, have been impacted by it. So, so let's say a prayer. The, the message is called, His Name Shall Be Called Wonderful Counselor. Father, we pray the Holy Spirit will be the teacher and that you'll not only speak through me, I pray, and through your word, but uh, we ask you to anoint every listener to hear, help us to hear, coach us to practice it. And uh, we thank you for this. Now put ministering angels around everybody, Lord. Protect them from any type of hindrance and uh, help us to uh, really understand this word that we might apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, the Bible says in Isaiah, this was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah 9, 6 in the New American Standard Bible. Now, some translations will put a comma in between wonderful and counselor so that his name will be called wonderful, comma, counselor, comma. But uh, many translations don't put that comma in there. And and I like to just uh, leave it out so that his name will be called wonderful counselor. Now, we know that his name is wonderful (laughs) without being called counselor. But uh, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to have an emphasis on just how wonderful his counsel is. My first point is that a counselor gives advice and tells us what to do. So here's some Bible verses. Psalm 16, 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Well, if the Lord lives inside of you, he can be instructing you with his counsel right from inside your heart. If you have a stubborn heart, that's not the case. Another verse, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Psalms 32, 8. Another Bible verse, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Psalms 73, 24. What a wonderful verse. How great to spend our life being guided by the counsel of the Lord and afterwards taken into glory. Now this Christmas season, let us remember that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the King of the kingdom of God. He's the leader we should follow. You know, the prophecy said the government will rest upon his shoulder. So all the government of God, of God's kingdom, rests on the shoulders of Jesus. That means uh, that he's the leader. Uh, when we study leadership, we should always remember we're not the leader. He's the leader, and the Holy Spirit's the leader. We follow We follow God. Now, remember that the name of Jesus itself means that he shall save his people from their sins. So, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and explained that his betrothed wife was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the angel said, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, they wanted to be saved from the Roman Empire. It was more important to be saved from their sins. Matthew, that's Matthew 1, 20 through 21. And we should remember that Isaiah's prophecy says that this child would be God in human form. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, eternal or everlasting Father, and yet the Prince of Peace. Well, uh, the Prince of Peace means he's the son of the king as well. He's, he's the son, and, uh, and yet he's one and equal with the Father. That's all in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. My point here, God went to a lot of trouble to provide forgiveness of sins and salvation. He had to become a man. And uh, we need to receive Jesus as our Savior and submit to his leadership as the King of Kings. And we need to have a holy fear, a holy reverence and awe that he is actually one with the Father and is the Almighty God. There's no peace without him. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the way to peace and he's the embodiment of peace. But he's also our wonderful counselor and we should be living our lives by his counsel. We should greatly desire his counsel. We should inquire of him and seek his counsel earnestly. We should surrender the stubbornness of our hearts, forsaking the counsel of our own hearts and forsake the counsel of the wicked. So our prayer should be, dear, wonderful Lord Jesus, I want to live today in your wonderful counsel. Show me and tell me what to do and how to do it, and I will delight in following your counsel with all of my heart. My second point is here's why I'm thinking about God's counsel. One morning, you know, I try to go to bed early so I get up early and have several hours seeking the Lord. Well, one morning I was reading the Bible recently, and I came across this verse from Psalms 81.12. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. I'd never noticed that verse. I've been reading the Bible since I was 12 every day. That's 61 years because I'm 73. So 61 years I've been reading the Bible and I had never, that had never stood out to me before that God gave them over to their own counsels. You know, I've memorized verses from Romans chapter one where uh, because people wanted sin, they wanted their own way. The Bible says God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity. And then it says God gave them over to shameful and unnatural lusts. And then it says God gave them over to a depraved mind. Verses 24, 26, 28 of Romans 1. Well, but I had never noticed what it meant to be given over to our own counsels or their own counsels. Well, apparently being given over to your own counsels would be to be given over to failure and disaster. So I began to meditate on that, and then I did a study on, the, on that. I always ask God, you know, what he wants me to say, what he wants me to preach on, because it's the most miserable thing in the world to try to prepare a sermon that God is not in. <laughs> if God doesn't give you the message, you're in big trouble. And as I, I kept thinking, what do you want me to preach on? And, and this is what was coming to me. So after I did a study on it, it began to flow together into a message. And I really believe that God wants us to desire his counsel in a new, sincere, earnest, and consistent way. Now, we can begin by realizing that this gift of God, this baby son, is named Wonderful Counselor for a reason. <laughs> he wants to give us the best advice, the best guidance and direction for our lives. And this counsel will cause us to be blessed even while, uh, even while others are experiencing terror and disasters and calamities, you see, because if, they're, if the population as a whole, the nation as a whole is given over to their, 
to their own counsels, then that God has given them over to futility, disaster, frustration, calamities. I mean, it's the worst possible thing to be given over to your own counsels. But if we desire God's counsel, we can be blessed and protected even in the midst of very, very difficult times. Now, my third point, I want to give you some benefits of following God's counsel. First, everything works out when God's counsel is followed. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, some translations say that he works all things according to the purpose of his will, but most English translations say according to the counsel of his will. So if you want things to work out, you'll want to follow the counsel of God's will because that's the only way things work out. And there aren't any exceptions. God makes all things work out according to the counsel of his will. So what isn't done according to his counsel must eventually be exposed as vain, futile, meaningless, foolish, and perhaps even disastrous. Well, once I hired a children's pastor when I pastored in Omaha, Nebraska. I was a young pastor, no, no real experience in hiring staff. So I acted in haste and hired this man. He was very friendly, very likable, but he proved to be completely inept at everything he tried to do. He couldn't make anything. He couldn't produce anything. So for 10 months, I tried to make him work out but he never could earn his salary, and the church went about $1,000 in debt every month that he was on salary. And finally, after 10 months, <laughs> we had to let him go. And I had to admit, he was never God's choice. I couldn't make him work out. Now, I wonder how many times in our lives are we trying to make our own way, our own choices, and our own counsel work out? You know what? it's a lot better to learn this lesson through somebody else's experience and not learn it the hard way. <laughs> learn it from the Word of God. Learn it from listening to somebody like me and you can get wisdom wholesale instead of having to pay retail. Now secondly, peace and blessings become constant when God's counsel is continually followed. God spoke this through Isaiah. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Now, we have to understand that righteousness can be right standing with God, but it means doing things the right way. It means doing things in the right order. You know, it means uh, doing the right things, having the right cause. All of those are fruits of righteousness. So if your righteousness was like the waves of the sea, that would mean you'd be doing the right things, spending the right amount of time in each priority area of life. You'd have the right motive. You'd do things in the right order. You'd always choose the right cause. Those are just a few of the fruits of righteousness. So if your righteousness was like the waves of the sea, well, that would mean you'd be having one blessing after another. Coming in, like when you go to the coast, you stand on the beach, the waves never stop. They keep coming in. Even at low tide, they keep coming in. And so if we listen to God's counsel, pay attention, 
then our peace would be flowing like one of Oregon's rivers that never goes dry, just keeps on going. And our well-being, like the NIV translates it, your well-being, but uh, most translations say your righteousness would be like the waves of the sea. Now, John 1.16 in the GNT translation says, Out of the fullness of his grace, he has blessed us all, giving us one blessing after another. The ESV, English Standard Version, says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received grace upon grace. Well, that's the same thing as one blessing after another. And my point is, if we'd follow God's counsel, we would experience grace upon grace, one blessing after another, like the waves of the sea coming in. Sounds like a pretty good way to live. Thirdly, we'd, uh, if we'd follow God's counsel, God will keep giving us his counsel and he'll pour out his spirit upon us. Proverbs one twenty three: if you turn at my reproof, behold, I'll pour out my spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. Now, turning at God's reproof means to follow his counsel even when it is strong correction. But that results in God pouring out his spirit on us and communicating even more with us. And that communication of God's will is what gives us supernatural faith. God reveals his will, and uh, boy, that serves us faith on a platter. He names it, we claim it, and, and we can have the best faith as good as anybody that any Bible hero. Now, what negative thing could stand before the outpouring of God's Spirit and the revelation of His Word? Nothing. No, so tell God, I want your counsel. I accept it. I, I want to do it. I want to practice it. I, I will cherish it. Fourthly, if we follow God's counsel, God will always answer our prayers, even in times of great turmoil and peril. All these subpoints are, are uh, subpoints of number three is benefits of following God's counsel. So to always get answers to prayer is a benefit of following God's counsel. And your ability to get an answer to prayer is your only real security. You may have social security, you may have all kinds of savings, you may have investments, but you know, those won't save you from cancer or for somebody robbing you or killing you. Really, your only real security in life is your ability to call out to God and get an answer to prayer. Now the Bible says, because I called and you refused to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, behold, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like whirlwind when, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they'll eat the fruit of their own way and they'll have their fill of their own devices. And, and uh, uh, I think the King James says they'll be filled to be, they'll be satiated. Some translation says that, satiated with the fruit of their own way. That means filled to vomiting. It means your own ways are going to make you really sick. And then it continues, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell securely and be at ease without uh, dread of disaster. All right, that's Proverbs 1, 24 through 23. Now, 
You'll remember that at the beginning it says, if you'd turn at my reproof, I'd pour out my spirit on you, make my words known to you. And then there's, it's like a, you know, then, then at the very end it says, but whoever listens to me will dwell securely and be at ease without dread of disaster. So, you want to notice that when people reject God's counsel, God refuses to answer their prayers. But for those who do receive and follow God's counsel, uh, you know, then God is going to answer their prayers. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, John fifteen seven through 8. Well, to abide in Christ is to abide in the wonderful counselor. Now, here's a great thought. We, we don't just seek God to get a little note of advice from the wonderful counselor and then go off and try to do it. We keep moving closer until we're right inside the wonderful counselor and he's right inside of us. <laughs> That's what it means to abide. If you abide in me, well, we're abiding then in the wonderful counselor and that's because we, we cherish his counsel, we seek for it, we follow his counsel, and then we have amazing results in prayer and total security that comes from knowing that he'll hear us whenever we cry for help. Now, my fifth major point is what if you could delight the heart of God? Would you like to please God? <clears throat> you know, I lived to please my dad when I grew up. My dad would say, you did good, boy. You hoed out your row. And boy, I'd work so hard out on those tractors and fields. Just, and, and he'd say, you did good. You hoed out your row. So I'd try to finish a field even if I had to miss supper and come in with the tractor lights on way late because he'd come out to meet me and I'd say, I got it all finished, Dad. And he'd say, you did good, boy. You hoed out your row. Now, <clears throat> similarly, I like to please my Heavenly Father. See? Now, here's a Here's the thought. The Bible says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. Now, just this last week, I was in prayer, and I prayed this prayer for the first time in my life. Lord, I would like to follow your counsel so consistently that I would become one of those pleasures at your right hand. <laughs> Now, I'd never thought of that before. You know, I thought, okay, there's pleasures at God's right hand. Heaven's going to smell good, feel good, going to be perfumed air. There's going to be all kinds of pleasures up there. But I'd never said, God, I'd like to be one of those pleasures at your right hand. See, if we were completely conformed to the image of Jesus, well, then we'd give pleasure to God. We'd give pleasure to the Father. And we'd be so like Jesus We'd give pleasure to all the angels, the whole family of God, all the creation of God would benefit. And uh, what a great thought then. When you read, Lord, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, why don't we just each say, Lord, somehow by your great grace and mercy, would you make me one of those pleasures at your right hand? All right. Now, one time I was looking at cards in a card shop. And I saw one that had a picture of a little blonde girl on the cover, and she looked so much like my daughter Heather did when she was two or three years old, and we'd had a portrait taken of her. And as I looked at that picture, my heart just welled up 
to overflowing with emotion. I just overflowed, man. I started to cry. My tear, my eyes were tearing up. I was choking up, thinking how much I love my daughter. And then the Holy Spirit brought this verse to my mind in Ephesians 1.22, it says, and he put all things under his feet. That means the father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One translation says the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, it says his body, the church, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? Well, I realized then that uh, that my daughter was my fullness, <laughs> my daughters. When I think of my daughters, my heart fills up to overflowing. And when God thinks about his own children that he loves so much, his heart fills up to overflowing with love. And that's what it means that his body is the church, his people are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We fill God's heart up with delight. Now, wouldn't you like to live in such a way then that you always fill God with delight and pleasure and become one of those pleasures at God's right hand? And I believe if we'll cherish God's counsel, seek for it, follow it, obey it, that God will be filled with delight. Now, in the book of Genesis, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. Genesis 6, 5 through 6. So people can fill God's heart with pain and grief. But if they would follow the Lord's counsel, then they would fill God's heart with pleasure. So why don't we just tell God, Lord... Oh, that's a great idea. I like that idea. I'd like to fill your heart with pleasure. <laughs> uh, give me your counsel, and I'll follow it with all gratitude. Now, here's my sixth major point. I want to give you a, a bunch of subpoints now, but these are ways to receive God's counsel. So first, believe that God's counsel is just what you need and must have. Now, for years, I've told the Lord this little sentence, just one thought from you, and I'm out of this jam. Because, you see, God's counsel will show us how to think about our situations and change our perspective, and often that's enough to solve our problems. Because many times our real problem is our perspective on things, how we're thinking about it. And if we're thinking all goofed up, then a little problem looks like a, a molehill, looks like a mountain. So anyway, Oh, Lord, just give me one of your thoughts and I'm out of this jam. Now, that's asking for God's counsel. There's a story in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 3 where three kings teamed up to go to war against the country of Moab. Now, this was the king of Israel, the king of Judah, the southern nation, and the king of Edom. And they all teamed up to go attack Moab. But only the king of Judah was a follower of God. So they marched out to battle, but they went around in circles, a roundabout route for seven days, the Bible says, and there was no water for the army nor the animals that followed them. In other words, they were in a mess. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So he was very fatalistic. But Jehoshaphat, the godly king, says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? 
You see, but what he knew is he needed to inquire of God for God's counsel. That's what he needed most, and he realized it. Now, the second way to receive God's counsel is to believe that he wants to give it to you. And so, one of the servants spoke up and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now, Elijah had gone up to heaven and, and the double portion anointed had fallen on Elisha. And now, what was he doing out in the middle of the wilderness of Moab where there was no water? He didn't live there. It had to mean that God had sent him there at just the time when they needed him, he was there. And I believe that just the time when you need the counsel of God, God's going to be right there with it if you'll desire it and seek it. And so they inquired of the prophet and, and uh, God spoke to him through him and said, make this valley full of ditches because water's going to come. A whole bunch of water's going to come. And, uh, and so you're not going to see rain. You're not going to see wind. But this, uh, this valley is going to be you know, filled up with water. And so that's what they did. They dug the ditches. And then the next day, all kinds of water came flowing by way of Edom, the Bible says. And the land was filled with water. So they got all the water they needed. And when the Moabites looked the sun was reflecting off of all that water and they thought it was blood. So they thought the three kings had fought, killed each other, and they jumped up and ran recklessly into, not really into battle, but they thought they would uh, get the plunder. I don't even know if they brought their weapons. But the three armies rose up then and and defeated Moab in a in a great victory. All right, thirdly, we want to ask God for his counsel. So what am I saying? You believe God's counsel is just what you need and you believe he wants to give you the counsel and then you ask for the counsel. And so the Bible says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and then you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Well, hopefully we'll say, sure, that's exactly what I want to do. Now that's Jeremiah six sixteen. Another example, when David and his 600 men came back to the little town of Ziklag, which was their town given to them by the Philistine king, they found that Amalekite raiders had burned it, stolen all their property, and kidnapped all their families. Now, what a mess. What did they need? Well, all of David's men wept until they had no more strength to weep, and then they decided to stone David. <laughs> but David alone inquired of the Lord. He was the only one that had enough sense to know what they needed. They needed to hear from God. They needed God's counsel. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him and said, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover everything. Now, it's interesting that David first put on a priestly garment called an ephod before he went to prayer. Abiathar was the priest that was taken along with David's army, but he was so wiped out David didn't even bother to ask the priest to inquire of God. So David thought it would help to wear the priest's robe. And he said, bring the ephod to me. And he put it on. Apparently it did help. Now, how does that apply to us when we inquire of God? Well, 
Paul wrote in Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, how many of you think that would be a mighty fine priestly robe to put on before you go to prayer? <laughs> of course, it would be the best one you could possibly have. All right, now the fourth way to get God's counsel is to regularly seek God in his word. Regularly seek God in his word. The psalmist wrote, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalms 119.24. The Bible says, have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel, knowledge, teaching you to be honest and to speak the truth so that you may bring back truthful, truthful reports to those who you serve? Proverbs 22. The Bible says, Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you've done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Isaiah 25, 1. Well, the word of God is absolutely filled with counsel. All right, so we seek God in his word. Fifth, we want to seek godly advice from people who walk with God. Now in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, only a few people were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Kings could be anointed, prophets and priests. Now, usually it was only the prophets who were anointed. The priests usually weren't serving God very much, and uh, there were a lot of false prophets. The kings usually weren't very anointed, only a few. But there were some really godly prophets. And so when people wanted to hear from God, they'd inquire of God through the prophet. Now we're in the new covenant and the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts when we've received Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is also called the counselor. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. Now that's the translation from the Christian standard Bible of John 14, 16 through 17. And uh, so many, you know, translations will say that I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper or another comforter uh, or another advocate or intercessor. The, the, the amplified version puts all of them in there. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. All right, well, this one translation uh, the Christian Standard Version just says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. So the Spirit of God is going to lead us into all truth, teach us all things, remind us of everything Jesus has said. So he is the counselor, the comforter, our helper. All right, now, when we get a prophetic word from somebody, we can't just follow it. It has to be confirmed by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Or else we get an inner witness of what we're to do and a prophetic word confirms what God has already told us in our own spirit. Either way, we never follow prophecy without inner confirmation from the Holy Spirit within us because we don't just blindly follow some prophetic word. Sometimes they could be wrong. It's got to, uh, got to be, got, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us got to check off on it. All right, now, that said, we want to respect prophetic people. And I tell prophetic people, look, I respect your ministry. So if you get a word from me, I want to hear it. Now, the Bible says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. 
and he who receives a righteous man the name of a righteous man will get a righteous man's reward. So when you honor righteous people, you honor a true prophetic person, then one of the rewards you get is, is God's counsel that can come through them. Now, the sixth way to find God's counsel is to surrender your own will to God before you receive his counsel. And don't window shop when it comes to God's will. Now, the Bible says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they'll not come to you. Psalms 32. Now, what does it mean to window shop when it comes to God's will? Well, some people say, God, you show me your will. I'll compare it to all my other options, and then I'll let you know what I'm going to do. Now, that's what I call window shopping the will of God. And that can end in disaster. We should firmly decide that we're going to do God's will before we know what it is. And let go of our stubbornness and our own counsels. Now the Bible says, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward, Jeremiah 7, 24. The last two years I was in high school, I dated one girl steadily and I led her to Christ. And I never asked God if she was God's will for my life. And so when I went away to Bible college, she sent me a Dear John letter that she was in love with somebody else and I was just devastated. And that summer, she married that other guy. And at that, the, t the day of her wedding, I was out on a tractor plowing a field on my dad's ranch. And I said to myself, now the Bible says in Ephesians 1.11, God makes everything work out in accordance with the purpose or counsel of his will. And this didn't work out, so she must not have been God's will. And I told God, Lord, I don't ever want to desire something that's not your will. So from now on, if you'll show me what your will is, instantly, I will make it my will. Now, I've, that was when I was 19. I'm 73, headed for 74. <laughs> and that's the way I live. I've lived that way ever since. See, I don't, I don't think my will is going to be anything great. I don't think my will could be better than God. And that brings me to my next sub-point here. Don't fear God's will. Fear your stubborn will. Fools, foolish people fear God's will. Like, I don't even want to check in with God. He might call me to be a missionary to Africa. You know, that's their attitude. Well, if he did call you to be a missionary in Africa, that's where you'd be most safe and blessed and protected. And there's nothing that ever supersedes God's will. Now, the Bible tells us that King Solomon rejected God's will and counsel. God said not to marry idolatrous women. Don't multiply wives to yourself and don't marry foreign women who worship idols. Well, he didn't listen to any of that. I think he had 800 wives of royal birth and almost all of those were heathen women that worshiped idlers and idols. And he had a couple hundred concubines. So he had a thousand women in his harem and his heart turned away from the Lord. And then uh, the Lord tore the kingdom away from his son and gave 12 tribes to a capable man named Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was God's choice to be king of that northern kingdom, Israel, when the kingdom split. Two tribes were left to the descendants of David. 
Judah and Benjamin. The rest became the nation of Israel. Now, Jeroboam thought the people of his northern kingdom, Israel, would keep going back to Jerusalem to the temple that Solomon had built, this big fancy temple, and, and, the, and the law told them that they should appear before God three times a year. So he's thinking, now, if they go back and do that, they're going to get back in good with King Rehoboam, and then they're going to kill me. And he didn't even ask God. He should have said, Lord, now, you told me to be king of this kingdom. The people are going to go back there. What do you want me to do about it? God would have had a plan because God had promised him through the prophet that uh, told him he would be king. He said, if you will listen to all I command you and will walk in my ways and do what's right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commandments, as David, my servant, did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. 1 Kings eleven thirty-eight. But Jeroboam didn't even ask God what to do. He just got bad counsel and invented his own religion, made two golden calves, set one up in the north, one up in the south end of his nation, and, uh, and then invented his own priests and made his own holy days and uh, led the whole nation into idolatry. Now, as a result, God wiped out his whole family and left no descendants. The Bible says, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Now, let's look at this scripture again, Jeremiah 7, 24. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forward. Now, many people in America consider themselves progressives. But if they don't honor God and seek God's counsel, they won't be progressing forwards. They'll be progressing backwards. So if you want to be a, a godly-style progressive, <laughs> you'll have to listen to God's counsel. All right. Now, my seventh major point, the last major point here. We want to avoid the other counselors. And the Bible warns us of some of these other counselors. I'll, I'll list a few, but they're not in any uh, distinct order of, uh, they're just, uh, anyway. The first one is avoid the counsel of the wicked, wicked people who serve Satan. Now, Psalms 1-1 begins with this verse, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. A story in the Bible, there was a king who was a, great-great-grandson or something of King David, and he was from David's line. He was a king in Judah, and he became king when he was 22 years old, but he only reigned one year because he was allied by marriage to the northern kingdom. <clears throat> they were all serving Baal and uh, worshiping the devil. So his, uh, his own mother was a granddaughter of the idolatrous King Omri from Israel. And the Bible says these words, his mother encouraged him to act wickedly. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after his father's death, they became his advisors to his undoing. He also followed their counsel. See, if you follow the counsel of the wicked, it'll be your undoing. And so when God raised up King Jehu and commanded him to do, completely destroy the house of Ahab, uh, King Az. Ahaziah was destroyed along with them because he was in league with them. 
only reigned one year. Well, what brought about his fall? Is he followed the wrong counsel. He followed the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, avoid the counsel of astrologers and other occultists. Now, regarding the people of Babylon, Babylon was the ones where astrology was invented. God said, all the counsel you have received is only wore you out, worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month after month. Let them save you what's from, from what is coming upon you. God was just mocking uh, the counsel of the occultists, the astrologers. Christians like to play around with that, but it's, it's nothing to play around with. You want to avoid any kind of counsel from fortune tellers, uh, uh, any occultists or astrology. Thirdly, avoid the counsel of the young and inexperienced. Now, the Bible says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong, Exodus 23.2. And there's a story where Solomon had died. His young son, King Rehoboam, was now the king. And uh, people came from all over the country and asked him if he would please lighten the load of taxation on them. And uh, he said, you know, your father laid a heavy yoke on us. Would you please lighten the yoke? And he told him, he said, come back in three days and I'll, I'll have an answer for you. So they went away and he asked counsel of the old men who had counseled his father. And they told him, they said, uh, well, answer the people kindly and, uh, and do what they say and then they'll serve you forever. They'll be your loyal subjects. They'll love you and think you're great. But he didn't want to do that. He didn't like that godly counsel. So he went to the young people, the young men that he'd grown up with, and they said, you tell those people, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. I'll make it even heavier. And my father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. Well, it sounded tough, but it sure didn't work out. <laughs> no, they split. Ten tribes took off, made Jeroboam king, the nation split. What a disaster comes from following wrong counsel. Now, fourth, we want to avoid the counsel of the worldly wise. And we better watch out whose financial counselor counsels we're listening to. Now, the Bible says the officials of Zoan are nothing but fools. Zoan was a big, important city in Egypt. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. Isaiah 19.11. Another Bible verse, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. Romans chapter 1. So if people don't honor and thank God, you can be sure that their counsel will be senseless. In other words, without common sense. Now look at the way the worldly wise are handling crime, homelessness, borders, justice, economic issues. Friend, this is true. If there isn't any wisdom, there, there isn't any wisdom really apart from God. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Another verse says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so, you know, when people claim to be wise, but they don't acknowledge God or seek God's counsel, well, they're, they become fools. Now, the Bible says, counsel and sound judgment are mine, God is speaking. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. Proverbs 8, 14 through 15. 
Friend, listen, we need to earnestly pray that God will raise up leaders in our nation and all around the world who will seek God's counsel. Now, Hosea prophesied this, the sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. Hosea 11.6. Now, listen, God's counsel is going to bring all kinds of blessings so that your peace will be like a river and the waves of the sea will, like the grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing will come in like waves of the sea constantly, continually, one after another. But we follow our own counsels or the counsel of the wicked. Well, that'll end in absolute disaster. And so you got to wonder, well, what's coming to our nation then? Now, this is why you and I need to say, dear Lord, you said that the people that wouldn't listen to you, disaster would overwhelm them uh, like a whirlwind and that you wouldn't listen to their prayers and that the waywardness of people and the complacency of people that refuse to follow you, they'd be destroyed. But you said, whoever listens to me will live at ease and dwell securely without fear of harm. I wanna be one of those that follow your counsel. I don't know how you can bless me individually when the whole nation's suffering because of their own stubborn hearts and their own will, but I figure you can do it. And I want to be a pleasure to your heart. I want to be one of those pleasures at your right hand. I love your counsel. Tell me what to do, how to think, what, when to do it, what motive to do it from, what's the right cause. Oh, counsel me, God. Be my counselor. Be my wonderful counselor. All right. Now, the fifth thing to avoid is the counsel of idols. Listen to this verse from Hosea 4.12. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. The modern equivalent of this is seeking counsel through artificial intelligence. Now, you can ask artificial intelligence all kinds of questions, and it might tell you how to dig a fence pole hole, uh, a hole for a fence post, you know, or how to wire up some electrical thing. I mean, there's a lot of in things that it can tell you, but it can't be used as a substitute for God's counsel because it doesn't know God's counsel. It doesn't know God's will, and it never, it, it never can substitute for God. If you try to use it as a substitute for God, then you're getting your counsel from an idol, from something man-made. All right, here's the end of my sermon. The Lord God Almighty says, my counsel shall stand. My counsel shall stand. And I shall accomplish all my purposes. Isaiah 46.10. Now we'll stand if we stand in God's counsel. If we stand in God's purpose for our lives, our, God's purpose for our lives will be fulfilled no matter what happens in the nation or society that scorns God's counsel. I want you to celebrate God's gift to you this Christmas. He has given you a child, a son, whose name is Wonderful Counselor. And by seeking for and finding and then following his counsel, this new year will be one where your peace flows like a river and where one blessing after another will roll in as faithfully as the waves of the sea come to shore. 
That's the truth. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.